Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Today's episode is a special pre-opening diaries, volume two, with Unjo Park and the opening of Kawi Restaurant on uh, the fifth floor of Hudson Yards. Apologies for all the background noise. We recorded this during the construction a couple weeks ago, right before the birth of my son. So there's fire alarms, there's orientation, there's all kinds of shit going on in the background. But we didn't really have any time. So we, we took like about like 45 minutes of Joe's time. And we're really lucky to get any of Joe's time to convince her to record again. She's going through so much right now. And a lot of Joe's struggles right now are around her identity and the identity of her food as a chef. She's Korean, but I can tell you personally that there's many facets to it. For starters, Korean cuisine is seen as this inferior thing to Japanese. Although it's obviously a lot cooler, historically, you know, Japan has colonized Korea and there's been strained relations. And uh, now's not the time or place to talk about that relationship, but it's a complicated one at that. People's idea of Korean food around the world is also trapped in a bubble in a lot of different ways. Take Sydney, for example. The Korean food there is largely defined by one or two waves of immigration. So the food is stuck in this time period where those immigrants arrived. So it's hard to change. It's hard to kill the very thing that you need to kill because you're trying to preserve if that made any sense. So sometimes the way forward is to kill the very thing you're trying to preserve. And I think that's where uh, Joe's at right now. And that's a very, very difficult obstacle to get around. Another thing about Joe, she's not just Korean, she's Korean American. And all of this confusion, plus the pressure of opening the restaurant, leading a team for the first time, the financial pressures, the scheduling, the PR shoots, the photographs, all of this stuff is all new it leads to a boiling point where she describes in this episode that is, I think, a defining moment for her. It's one of the hardest things I think she's ever endured to this point. And it's been very difficult for me as someone that wants to help and protect to see her go through. Ultimately, though, it's also thrilling because you get to see Unjo figure out in real time all of these problems and trying to prioritize the things she needs to figure out. It's also scary as hell. Anyway, I think you'll hear the second part of this podcast and understand what I'm talking about. It was incredibly refreshing and fresh for us to go over, to talk through what just happened not too long ago. This was literally 10, 11 days ago, something that we're still going through. Every day is a conversation similar to what we just talked about in this podcast. So I'm glad that we got it out of the way. I'm really happy that Joe's learning to communicate this about who she is because it also not only adds to her responsibilities, I do believe it's cathartic for her and for me and for her entire team of Kawi. So I will uh, stop talking and let you hear this conversation with Joe where we literally got what we could in what was an insane day of getting the restaurant ready. So thank you, Unjo, for being so brave to talk about these things. And here she is and me talking again too much. Volume 2, Pre-Opening Diaries, Kawi. Let's go back to the first 72 hours of moving into this restaurant. Mm -hmm. You practice with JJ and Josh. 
keeping in touch with your team, recipe testing. You guys cooked a lot. Getting work done. Looking really busy. Looking real busy. What's the difference between real busy and, and getting shit done? I think you have so much in your mind that you can't focus on one dish at a time. You're just trying to do everything at once and you don't get anything done. I think that's like looking busy. And where getting shit done is like you plan out, take one step at a time and get shit done one at a time. Knowing you're going to fail. Fail or not. Hoping it won't fail, but knowing… You're totally cool. Yeah. Failing is actually good. Mm -hmm. I learned that this week. (laughs) You have to fail to succeed. And from my vantage point, as busy and sort of not even involved that much, you guys were doing stuff and making dishes to not to fail. Mm -hmm. I think that's the mindset that it's very obvious or natural for them to be like, well, of course I want my food to be good and be successful. Like, you don't want to fail. But, like, I don't know. Like, we talk a lot now with our managers that just start, just put it out. Don't, don't calculate it. Just put it out and then we'll discuss later. So that's why I think after that, a lot of dishes are coming out now. Because it wasn't. There was, like, a real writer's block almost, right? Right. And I think, without speaking out of turn or too much, a lot of it was you being just fucking overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. What are you being overwhelmed with? Everything. Like cooking, menu, dealing with managers, emails. Scheduling. Right. Ordering. Mm-hmm. I want this ingredient, but I can't get it because they don't want to deliver it. Mm-hmm. I want to use Korean ingredient, but I can't source it. Like all the stuff. And you've been actively sourcing ingredients for how many months? Uh, I would say I started like four months. Four months? Yeah. And you've been trying to make your own ingredients now Mm -hmm. to get ahead. Mm -hmm. So like building a surplus of the stuff that you can make, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's been a lot. Mm -hmm. Still having a private life. (laughs) (laughs) And then gearing up for something that you're scared of. You've never been a sous chef. Never. Have you been an executive chef before? Of course not. You've been offered the opportunity to be a chef or sous chef somewhere. Yeah. And you've turned it down. Yep. And you've always left the restaurant that offered you one of these positions, right? Yeah. I think for the restaurant, they shouldn't have someone they can grow. So I left. Because you knew that was time for me to go. I learned Mm -hmm. what I need to learn. Right. And I know you. And I was like, you know, we've talked about this in the past. I was like, oh, Joe can't leave something if she knows how to do it. So we're going to give her something that she's never going to know. The more you work at this, the less you're feeling confident that you're going to know anything. Mm-hmm. And like that feeling of being overwhelmed really peaked at what time? I would say after your first tasting with you. Here in this room. And when we moved in. Yeah. And in my head, like, oh, the menu, it looks pretty good. But realizing that there was no... <laughs> There's no love to the menu that we wanted to do. And just looking at the menu, it was meant, it was created to impress someone. It wasn't for Kawi. And realizing that we weren't on safe spot. Like we were actually like downhill. What do you mean? I think it's just my mindset that for me, like doing this menu was like, I have to put shit up on the menu. Like it wasn't personalized. It wasn't you. It wasn't my menu. It was more like 
what they would like, what foodies might like. It was menu for someone. It wasn't menu for me. It's a really hard thing to see, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, what do you mean? I've been doing this for months, mm-hmm. a year. How the fuck have I come to this realization that I'm not doing what I want to do? Mm-hmm. When she's saying this is the dish that I want to do, mm-hmm. yet you're still saying it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. How, can you explain that? I think the biggest part was when I, after the first tasting with you, it went bad. So How, how bad? Real bad. Like you set me down privately to talk to me. And you said, your food tastes like fear. And that really got me thinking. I was like, what have I been cooking? Or how have I been cooking? Like, am I really cooking? And you said, when you said, cook like you're going to cook for your grandma. Just like cook for your family. Like cook with love. I was like, wow, like how can I forget that? Like the most important thing about cooking. That clicked and the next day... Wait, wait, what happened that day? Later? Because it's now like 11.30. Mm-hmm. You've been cooking all day, moving shit around. Not only, it's just crazy. Like, you're m- literally, like, moving shit. Like, unpacking stuff. Mm-hmm. Sorting everything out. You have new people coming in. It's madness. The worst possible scenario is, oh, shit, I got to do tasting right now. Mm-hmm. In the kitchen that we're just breaking in. Mm-hmm. Not optimal conditions. So after that conversation, I was really embarrassed as a cook. Losing that most important thing about cooking is cooking with love and care. And losing that, it really broke me. So I felt so bad. <laughs> I'm really glad that we had that conversation. So after the conversation, we went to the kitchen. And it's now about midnight. Mm-hmm. And then we start cooking. You're like, just cook whatever you want to cook. So I made stinky soybean stew. And why'd you make that? It's just a comfort food. You grew up eating it, but I mean, like, why? That was the first thing you were like, all right, I got to cook something that I want to not only eat, I want to cook for other people, maybe my own family. Why'd you choose? That was like a Proust-like thing, you know, Madeleine thing. Um, it's my favorite dish that my mom makes for me. And if people ask me, what do I want to eat before I die? I would say my mom's soybean stew. Which is always better one day later. <laughs> always better next day. And you made that? Yeah. And I made a pork belly mm-hmm. that got sabotaged by JJ because <laughs> he burned it. It was delicious. And then I come back. It burned. was burned. And he's saying it's my fault. No, no, no. <laughs> and I made a Korean cabbage soup. Mm-hmm. Very humble. Very humble. And a couple other sous chefs started making stuff. Mm-hmm. Everyone started cooking. Mm-hmm. We're just cooking. Like cooking. Not R&D, like cooking. Like real home cooking. What's the difference? Wait, you guys are spending all this time trying to make cool food. And now the goal is just make something delicious Mm -hmm. and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And everyone starts doing that. Mm -hmm. What happened? Like when I give them projects to work on, they just think it as, oh, like how I would get it from you. They will see the same thing. And we had the same conversation that I had with you, with <laughs> my managers. I sat down. I said, you know what, guys? Dave told me I, my food tastes like fear. That's the least thing I want to hear as a cook. So let's really, like, cook with love. Like, let's really cook with our heart. Like, don't take this as a project, but treat it, like, own it. 
And then next day. Well, that, that night I remember there was laughter. <laughs> People were laughing. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is a, a healthy kitchen for the record. For me, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. opinion is one of laughter. And I have had kitchens that I've run that have been all fear mm-hmm. and all my ego mm-hmm. and me yelling like a lunatic. Mm-hmm. And I'm yelling because I'm insecure and I suck, basically. Mm-hmm. That's what I've learned. And there's no reason. But I've always wanted to get better. And the funny thing is, is all the times in my life when I've thought the kitchen is at the best and the kitchens that I've long admired, it's very serious. But there's fucking so much comedy. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that night, it's now like one in the morning. Mm-hmm. People are laughing and talking. And there's like, ah, And there's an excitement that I think it was the first time when everyone's like, you know, I'm ready to like cook some food tomorrow. Where it wasn't like, okay, like how many projects that I have to do. It was a moment where everyone was like started to get excited. What you think? When this was going on, what's going through your head? Because it's a lot. This, was, is only, was, this is only like four days ago. I was very emotional. Like, it still gets me emotional. So. Why, why? We both cry. <laughs> Just for the record, we both cried. It touches your bottom of your heart. Like, it's genuine. It's, it gets it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's like, fuck, this is why for all the stupidity, this job sucks. But these are the moments where you're like, this is the best. Nothing beats that moment when you're like, I can feed you guys and you guys love this. And I love what you're making me. Let's try to give this to everyone else. And let's get serious to make sure we can do that. Mm-hmm. I saw that. I was like, fuck, yeah, maybe tomorrow's going to be awesome. And a couple people made some horrible things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, really bad. Still failing. <laughs> still, still failing. Of course, still failing. But it was like, okay, we can use this as a lesson to learn. Like, mm-hmm. why'd you deglaze that? Right. Why'd you add more fat to that? Mm-hmm. Why'd you add sherry vinegar? Mm-hmm. Why'd you put cilantro in mm-hmm. this? And I, the one thing I feel like I've learned, and I will tell you and maybe someone that's listening, when you're cooking in fear and you have no confidence, the easiest thing to do is to cover it up with more ingredients. I agree. I think it's hard to make it simple. It's definitely but you've heard hard. that in your entire life, yeah. right? But that's so, there's like weird correlation, right? It's not just about being confident mm-hmm. as you get older and cooking with less. The Japanese and the Italians obviously are focused on minimalism and stuff like that. And, you know, I think about Cesar Ramirez at Brooklyn Fair. His food is like fucking one ingredient now. Mm-hmm. Very minimal. And it's more beautiful mm-hmm. and more delicious to me than ever before. And it's not about that trajectory, but I look at the cooks here that are scared and they don't want to fail. And they always have the shit that's like so complicated. Mm-hmm. And it's not about them not knowing. They know how to cook. But it's overcompensating. I think that goes with me too. Um, before Wednesday, our first tasting. Or after the tasting. Cooking with like... Genuinely, you know your food is going to be good. And I think that started to build my confidence. I mean, there is definitely a fire inside. But I think I can still have fire and be insecure. That's the best thing I've heard all day. (laughs) So this was about seven days ago. Two days into moving. Third day we did the tasting. Mm -hmm. Which was, from my perspective... One of the worst days I've ever experienced. And it wasn't just cooking for you. There were actually people coming to eat dinner. And 
that really upset me that there were some dishes that it was so bad we couldn't serve it. So I'm sure half of them left. Not full. I ordered pizza. I know. That broke me really bad. And I did it for two things. One, not to be a jerk, but to prove the point. Mm -hmm. That like, even though it's just a tasting Mm -hmm. and they're guests, we have to feed them. And it's not about ego. Yeah, it is, but it isn't. But we can't lose sight of like just trying to make something simple and delicious. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple of dishes that I could not believe were being instructed. The salmon, potato, creme. I don't even know what was happening. And I'm embarrassed because I I was like, I lost my temper. Mm -hmm. I was so mad. And I was like, God damn it. I hate it. I try with all my heart not to fucking freak out. But it broke me. Mm-hmm. When I saw that dish, it broke. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And then I realized no one's trying to make this food bad. It just showed to me that, like, I, I have to figure out how to communicate it better. And I, had to, I walked away. I left, and I was so upset. And mostly upset at me, just so you know. Mm-hmm. I was so fucking mad at myself. Because I just wanted to make sure I was there to not let that happen. And then, like... Coming back and walking back to the kitchen because I left mm-hmm. like 30 minutes later. It's like, this needed to happen. This needed to happen. Needed to happen. We all needed to experience it. And I'm glad it happened. And yeah, like we still talk about it a lot. Like front <laughs> of the house, back of the house. We have meetings every day. And we're like, remember like our first tasting? It was only five days ago. <laughs> <laughs> but we bring it a lot and we're like, That was such an important lesson for all of us. And now, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today's Day Chang Show is brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Create your own custom engagement ring right on their website by picking from a variety of ethically sourced diamonds, gemstones, metal types, and settings. Brilliant Earth also offers wedding rings, vintage pieces, and many other handcrafted jewelry items with exclusive, unique designs you can't find anywhere else. Brilliant Earth is passionate about cultivating a more transparent, sustainable, and compassionate jewelry industry. They go above and beyond the current industry standards to offer beyond-conflict-free diamonds, along with fine jewelry crafted from recycled precious metals. They even donate 5% of profits to help build a brighter future in communities impacted by the jewelry industry. To make your Brilliant Earth purchasing experience as stress-free as possible, they even offer free shipping and returns on all U.S., U.K., and Canadian orders. I get a lot of questions from my friends about where to go and what to do and how to buy all this stuff if you're going to get married. This is a good place to start. From now until March 24th, you will receive a complimentary pair of diamond studs with the purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms from this special offer and to shop all Brilliant Earth selections, just go to BrilliantEarth.com slash Chang. That's BrilliantEarth.com slash Chang. And now, back to the show. I also ordered the pizza for one other thing. What happened? We were so focusing on getting our mise en place ready. We were like, you know what? No family meal today. So no one ate. So no one. Everyone was tired. Everyone was hungry. They didn't like, there was no love. It was set for failure that day. And we failed. And that was the only thing I really was upset about, Mm -hmm. ultimately. Yeah. 
was you made the call like, fuck it. We're in the weeds. No family. And we cook for eight people. Mm-hmm. How the hell did we lose track of time? Working. Busy. Busy as in looking busy. And you know me. And it's not like a novel thing. It's not just me that believes it. I know you. Everyone believes it. Mm-hmm. What's the most important thing we're going to cook all day? Family meal. Why? We have to feed ourselves. I see family meal as like most important thing. And I tell all the cooks that take your time to make family meal. Like you're cooking for like someone you care about. And it shows what you cook. So... Do you think that there's any been a great chef, maybe there has, that made shitty family meal? No. Would you say that all the people you admire that are really, really good cared so much about making great family meal? Of course. Like coming in way early. Yeah. And I learned that early on. I was like, why is this person here at like 9 a.m. when they don't have to be here till 2? Because they're making like puff pastry. Mm-hmm. So they can make chicken pot pie. And I'm like, what the fuck? I don't understand. Why? Why? When I learn what that meant, that was everything to me. I don't even know these people, but I want them to eat well. Yeah, I mean, you could tell, like, if the cook is good or bad by how they make family meal. That's it. That's yeah, all that's you need. It, yeah. Even if they have shitty knife skills. Mm-hmm. Right? To me now, fuck all the other tests. Fuck the resume. Yeah. You can literally tell everything mm-hmm. by the care. Mm-hmm. And the feedbacks you get from your co-workers that you work 16 hours a day saying like oh my gosh Joe like that chicken salad was amazing it makes you feel so good that as a cook so that's why I brought the pizza it was the equivalent of you guys feeding someone's head and ego mm-hmm. and not someone like that's how it was like our menu that's how it was with our menu that's why we skipped family meal not you know like it made sense everything everything made sense on paper And I think this is like a cultural thing where I just think about a lot. You can't do everything because it's efficient and it makes sense on fucking paper. Nothing fucking works when you take that, what works on paper and put it in real life. Mm -hmm. The menu that you wrote and how you were working for the past year was all great on paper. Didn't translate. I agree. And it looked good on paper. It read well, but I had no connection to it. Cooking by numbers. Yeah, that's why I struggle. And I think that's why I didn't get anything done. I worked a lot. I made dishes, but there was no outcome. It was just like in a hamster in a cycle. I mean, of course, I was really, really upset. Not because of what happened, because of I put so much my effort and my time. And, I, you know, I thought I cared. And spending so many months working and seeing the reality on the first day of mock service where it was just chaos. Like It hurts so bad, right? Was yeah. it the worst, worst feeling you've ever experienced? Yeah. Worse than being in the weeds at per se? I don't think you can compare any kind of shitty, like, busy service to the feeling that I experienced. Because it really gets you, like... It gets you to your heart, like right there. It's like heartbreak. Heartbreak. It, yeah, it, I broke me. And then we made food, and you guys came back the next day. And what happened? Just by getting in, the vibe was different. 
hopefully like it clicked to them as much as it clicked to me. And just, I don't know, like simple as like cliche as it sounds, be like, hey guys, like let's really cook. Like we're gonna cook for our parents. Like let's really cook for like. Well, that was the funniest thing that the night before still going back. You know what? We keep on going back this fucking same that one night. Mm -hmm. But man, I think about it. That wasn't one night. That wasn't one night at all. That was one year. It really was. Mm -hmm. It was one year for that moment. And that's why it was so powerful because fuck, man. But it's not, I don't look at it as bad, which is why I actually knew that it wasn't going to be bad if we could see the other side, but you have to take the chance. Like mm -hmm. maybe you don't see it. And you know, Dave Cho says this all the time. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. But that's a fucking hard thing to overcome. And I just knew because of you, you would fucking find a way to see it. And I was like, I told you, it's like, you're going to break. But if you are the kind of person that I know you are, you're going to break and you're going to fucking put the pieces together and it's going to come back stronger. And you're going to try it again and it's going to break again and you're going to do it over and over. Mm -hmm. It only is broken if you refuse to put it back together. Mm -hmm. And then we make the food, make the cabbage soup. And I was telling you, we got to make it like your grandma. Mm -hmm. Just When you make food that's delicious, that's... Kimchi jjigae or dengjang jjigae, that stinky soybean soup. You're not worried about, like, is it cool? You're worried about, am I going to make my mom, my family, my dad happy? I make this cabbage soup. You make the jjigae. Mm -hmm. And what does Reggie say? Reggie said, he had the soup. And he's like, oh, it tastes like my grandma's food. And we were <laughs> like, wow. And he was so happy. Yeah, like... We didn't tell him to say that. <laughs> so we... Asked him to say out loud to everyone. I was like, Reggie, what did you just say? And he's like, tastes like my grandma's food. And it's what I, he's like, I want to eat this every day. Mm -hmm. And the thing was, is we didn't make his soup that his grandma makes. We made Korean food. He's, he's Taiwanese. We made a soup that's very different, mm -hmm. but he said it makes him feel. We could have made Rice Krispie treats, mm -hmm. but if we figured out a way, what we want is for him to feel like, this tastes like something my grandmother made. Or a soup. Mm -hmm. And I was like, fuck me, man. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> what went through your head when he said that? Because I was like, holy shit. Same thing. Like, like, what have we been missing? Like, why are we, like, getting this now? And then we went back the next day. And then you guys started cooking again. Mm -hmm. And then cooking. More and more. Yep. And then what happened? Um, we did our second tasting. I think it was like second or third. I think so actually, the first two tastings were bad. Our talk was like after first one, and the second one, still terrible. There was another talk. Uh-huh. <laughs> the second talk was the big one. Yeah, that was it. That was the big one. We were combining the two tastings yeah, the one. But are, the really are. one tasting was bad. Second one was, you guys did the same thing. I told you, I've already blocked it out. You guys did the same menu. Mm -hmm. why, why? Because… We saw how shitty it was, so we wanted to make it better. We wanted to just continue, like, you know what? Well, this wasn't good, so let's make it better tomorrow, and maybe we'll have better service, because our food is a little better. Yeah. Then the third day, I got in. You guys already got in early, and I see you guys, and I could just, was like, it was like I smelled it. Mm -hmm. That third day, what was changing? Well, we had a whole meeting on Tuesday night with front of the house and back of the house. I had gone home already. Mm -hmm. 
planned out what we're going to do, treated like a real service. And we, I think just talking honestly to each other, figuring out what's in my mind and what's on their mind, just being brutally honest and see what we can improve. And then we created a menu that we can... It was our first time making it, but we knew that it's a fucking good dish. So everyone came in, created like two to three dishes each, and it was it was really successful night. Food was good. Everything was tasty. Service was good. It was smooth. Everyone was happy. And Sarah, it was actually Sarah that ate that night. She came back to me and she said, you know, Joe, like, I tasted your love and... We didn't tell her to say that. No, like... That's fucking crazy. Yeah, and she made me cry again. <laughs> so she that really got me, said that? Yeah, so Amazing. that got me really, really fucking happy. Fucking love. Sarah's the goddamn best. Yeah, I love her. Really? Mm-hmm. We're so lucky to have all these awesome mm-hmm. people. I didn't know she said that. And then next day, you start putting some dishes on. I can see the confidence. I can be like, yeah, I can fucking do this. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Dave. Now it's like the fuck you, Dave, that I wanted. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, motherfucker. I got this. Step off. Don't be in my fucking kitchen. And now your, your focus and purview is different. You're not making them. I could see it. You were like, hey, I want you to do this, this, and this. But if this happens, this happens, this happens, expect that. I was mm-hmm. like, like, what the fuck, Joe? All of a sudden, boom, you're the fucking chef you want to be. I'm getting there. Yeah, but you're getting there. Mm-hmm. Before it was like, you're trying to do everything yourself. You're cooking everything. You're not explaining anything. You're like, ugh. Because I had zero confidence. That's why I had to do it my own. I couldn't explain it better like, or have enough confidence be like, this is what I want. This is how it should be done. But I think feedback from Sarah really helped me to cook differently. And not do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're doing this right now. The whole fucking team's in there doing what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part is letting go. Yeah. So you can teach I mean, even now, I still have to tell myself, like, let go. Or I have to remind myself or I'm going to still try to do it. So I have to keep reminding myself that let them do it and figure it out. But you you have to let them do it, I think, knowing that you already know what they're going to do. That's the hardest part. Mm -hmm. And what they're going to do might be a total fuck up. Mm -hmm. But you still got to let them do it. Yep. Our mock, second mock service, no meetings. Why? There was no organization. There, yeah, it was total shit show. And after that, we have one in the morning, one just myself, Chris, who's a CDC, and Reggie, who's uh, executive sous chef. And we have one pre-service, and we have one recap at nine. And it's all these little things. It's like all these new cooks are coming in. It's almost like they have to pass a driver's test. These are the standards that we want you to mm-hmm, have. Mm-hmm. From writing on tape to wrapping things in plastic. This is how we sweep. This is how we mop. Mm-hmm. These are the things that we have to get better at mm-hmm. and do. But you can, it's not there. We're going to make mistakes. We'll falter. But I can see it happening in one fucking week. And that's why I, lo- I actually love this part of the job. But just like 72 hours ago, I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. This is so dumb. This is so fucking stupid. Now I'm like, oh my God. Like last night I said, oh my God, I can now support my wife when she gives birth. I feel okay. I can go. <laughs> I can go. It's like I could die. You, you know? know, like till last week, 
I really struggle. I hate it in my life. Like we talked about it last time. I wish I got hit by a bus. I don't know. I don't know how whole thing can just change in one day. I don't know how, but something changed. Something clicked. Like magic. Like yeah. a light switch. Right. And I was like, oh, I think I kind of get it now. And it was actually like excited to go to work next day. Like, I'm excited to try this dish. Yeah, it just happened just like that one night. Amazing. And you know, it's not, it's not one night. And I think we have to be honest about that. And we can't look back at what's happened in the past and be like remorseful or regretful. Because that one night doesn't happen. That's like overnight success, that's bullshit. You know, that's like saying this prosciutto, slice of prosciutto that's been aged fucking four years, that's delicious and you just sliced it. No, that's bullshit. No, I mean, there's a, over many months and days. Months and days that built up to that point where I needed that six months of struggle to be like, oh my gosh. And that's the fucking magic, man. And what you're editing out when we first started this process, mm-hmm. you were editing out the suffering, mm-hmm. the pain. Yep. Because all you wanted was the joy. Of course. We want to jump straight to fucking go. Yeah. And that's what sucks. But that's also weirdly what's beautiful. You know? And I, I got on this weird tangent trying to explain to you. This is like fucking the birth of tragedy by Nietzsche. This is the Apollonian versus the Dionysian. And yep. maybe one day we'll fucking talk to someone that can talk about this. Not mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But I was like, man, to truly know why we do what we do, we can't just fucking have the good... It's not the necessarily bad, but I really believe, Joe, that all that suffering and the trials that you've gone through, that was necessary for you to be in that moment, to have that light come on, be like, yeah, I got this now, because I didn't see it before, but the only way I was going to see it is by going through all that shit. Of course. If I didn't have that six months of experience, there would be no, like, oh moment. It would be like, oh. So... We got to go because there's a lot of fucking people. Yep. And uh, you got to be a chef. All right, Joe. We'll catch up with you again. Yep. Maybe a, a month or two in. Thank you, Dave. Well, that was our conversation with Unjo. Uh, we had to end it because we had to deal with uh, so many issues that day. We're going to continue these conversations with Unjo Park. Uh, really and thankful that she's been brave enough to talk about a lot of these things. It is not easy. And uh, I am so grateful that she was able to like sort of bear her soul a little bit about all of her fears about being a chef for the first time and being as transparent as possible. Not easy to do. And um, I think it's a testament to her character of never giving up. She's one of the toughest individuals I know besides being incredibly talented and gifted at cooking. She's finding her voice. One of the things that uh, we didn't talk about, but I wanted to talk about because it's something that she's learning is something I joke about quite a bit is the Holy Trinity in a kitchen. What I believe is a sort of fundamental thing to, I think, managing in a kitchen or, or having these roles and I might have spoken about it before or not, but it's something I'm continuing to to sort of impress upon Unjo. And, and it's obviously a derivative of the Christian idea of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. I know this fucking sounds weird, but you're listening to my podcast and I'm a fucking weirdo. So 
I believe that idea of three different entities that are necessary for something is something I've always applied to cooking. In, in a kitchen setting, you need someone that's going to be the good cop, someone that's going to ensure that everyone's feeling okay, that they're in a good place mentally, that is reinforcing positive behavior. You also need sort of a bad cop and not bad as in demeaning, but bad as in correcting. Someone that's constantly letting people know that they need to be their harshest critic, that they're not following the rules well, that their technique is maybe sloppy, that things need to improve. <sighs> Lastly, you need someone that's going to like, I joke, walk on water. You need someone that's going to make miracles happen. And that's someone that's just going to make food delicious, right? You need these three rules. You need these three roles that sometimes can be one person in a small kitchen. Sometimes it's held by like 15 people, right? But you need these three roles filled in a kitchen. You need a good cop, bad cop, and the person that can make miracles happen with food. And you need to make sure that's delegated. And I think Joe's trying to find who that is. And, and Joe, by nature, is not someone that's so loud and, and loquacious and someone that's going to talk incessantly like myself. She lets her action speak for herself. And she's learning that that process of who's going to be the good cop, bad cop, and miracle maker is going to take time. And uh, we'll see what happens. But you know, if you disagree with that statement, I'd love to hear that. Uh, your, your, your vision and your uh, ideas, send your questions to askdave at majordomomedia.com. But you need to have that balance of the good, the bad, and the person uh, that believes that things can happen. The person that, uh, the line cook that is like, why am I spending like 12 hours a day doing dumb mise en place, right? They need to understand they need to believe in something that is like greater than themselves, that the dishes that they're making are transcendent or can be so delicious that that's why all the hard work they're doing makes sense. And, and like Joe's in that process of figuring out what, what kind of quote unquote miracle she can make. So I think by the time this airs, this is going to be opening day Kawi and uh, we'll, we'll get back to sort of regular programming. But we've been on this good run with Jerry's podcast, with Jessica's podcast, and Lola's. And I think that to, to a certain degree, all of our podcasts have, have encompassed a lot of the themes that we've talked about in these past two episodes of the pre-opening diaries with Unjo Park. And this was happening real time, and we wanted to get this out there because I think it's interesting to know a little bit more about Unjo that you might not hear about or you might not know in an article. Um, she's a real person. She's really trying to put everything out there. And I couldn't be prouder of herself and the whole team. We chose a windowless space. We intentionally chose one of the worst locations in a great building that we're in right now, right? Because we want to have the hardest route to success. So we joke that we have, we want to be the best restaurant despite its location, right? Like we did the same thing in Australia when we chose the worst part of the casino. You know, they just redid this fabulous casino and we chose the place that has the worst foot traffic to open up Seobo. Uh, when we did Major Domo in Los Angeles, we chose one of the hardest locations, even though it's a good location. It's a great location. It's near the highways and it's, it's centrally located to a lot of different things, but it's not something that is so easy to get to. And I think that we have to work harder to deliver that customer experience. And, and in this new 
massive complex that has all the bells and whistles you'd ever want. We chose a location that, while it's a great location, we chose the one that doesn't have the, the fancy bells and whistles and the awesome views that a lot of our peers do in this building. We chose a place that has no windows because we want to like work out of this, this location and we want to set the tone and over deliver, right? That we can still have the best experience without having a beautiful view. I think the restaurant's awesome. I think the staff is gelling. It's going to take time, but we're going to figure out a way to make it work. And I'm excited. I'm going to shut the fuck up, man. I, I, I got to, I got so many other things to do. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. And mostly big shout out to Unjo Park, her family, and the entire team at Kawi and the entire organization of Momofuku that supported her. You might have heard a lot of names. Hopefully we'll get them on this podcast one day to talk about this because uh, it really takes a, a, a small village to, to get this operation running. And uh, we've done a lot this year and hopefully we'll be able to excel at high level. And if we don't, we're going to find a way to make it work. And uh, big thanks to the whole team of Hudson Yards for giving us this opportunity. And uh, let's see what happens. God bless. Uh, give us five stars on however you rate this thing on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. Uh, stay tuned next week. Send more questions to Ask Dave at Major Domo Media. Thank you.